Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it has been a great weekend so far um, at Sacred City, and my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here, if you don't know me. We've had, last two weekends, we've had weddings. This Friday night, we had the worship night, and if you missed the worship night, well, you missed the worship night, okay? As the kids say, it was lit, all right? It was lit. It was very good, and you missed. Uh, You don't want to miss the next one, Um, and it was just... It was awesome. It was really good for my soul. And so for those of you who are new, we are in a series we're calling Fundamentals. And we're studying the fundamentals of our church and also a little bit the fundamentals of our faith. Now today, we are gonna be talking about the church, kind of a little bit about what it is, what it's for, why should you be a part of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, When I say the word church, something comes into your mind, right? Something comes to your mind. And now here's the problem. If I, I'm gonna use the word church a lot, whatever that is that comes into your mind is what you think the church is, and in reality, that might not actually be the way the Bible describes the church. Some people, when they hear the word church, they immediately think of the Roman Catholic church with its institutions and bureaucracy and history of abuses, Others, when they hear the word church, they think of a rather old-looking building with a steeple on top. Some see the church as just a gathering on Sunday morning, or some say it's a right-wing or a left-wing political organization. Many today see the church as a place to go hear some music and listen to a guy talk, um, or maybe after the year that we've had, that the church is just something you can do online. I go to church online. No, you don't. <laughs> All right, now we, we use that word interchangeably. We use the word church, but church isn't something 
that you can go to online. So our problem is when defining the church, we can't just go off of our experiences or off of our understanding. We actually have to go back to the text of scripture and study what the church actually was when Jesus created it, okay? And today, we're gonna do that. We're gonna go and we're gonna read one of the earliest texts in the New Testament. We're gonna read what the Apostle Paul said about the church, uh, what it should feel like, what it should be like, and what your involvement in it should be. So, we're gonna just jump right into the text this morning, but before we do, I'm gonna pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us because there's the potential for a lot of misunderstanding this morning, so let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you and we come to your word because we need to be straightened out. We need truth, and you are truth. You've given us truth in the scriptures, and so would you open our minds to your truth? Would you open our hearts to your love? Would you allow us to hear your voice this morning? Would you speak to your people? Father, I pray as a man who's under your authority and a man who is still uh, sinful in my own self, I need your help. So I need you to think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords. It would be all of you and none of me this morning. Would you help us um, for your glory and our joy? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. Now, it's difficult to start with Ephesians chapter four because Ephesians is my favorite book of the Bible and the first three chapters of Ephesians are my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, okay? The, if you don't know, the first three chapters, so the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, okay? I read that these days. I think, well, that might be my future. I might be headed there soon, okay? Um, Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. The first three chapters of Ephesians are, let me just say it like this, the cosmic realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ did not come and live the perfect life and die a substitutionary death just so you could go to heaven when you died. If that was the purpose, this book would be really short. But that's not the purpose. Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, rose again from the, from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's sitting in the control, control room of the universe right now, and he's restoring all things back to himself. All the planets, everything on our world, everything is being renewed and made right, okay? Jesus is doing that right now. So that's the cosmic implications of the gospel. So Paul goes on and says, basically takes him from eternity past to eternity future, from, you know, the basically when, when it was just God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he brings them all the way into the new heavens and the new earth. That's the first three chapters. And then he says this, chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So he's like this. If Jesus is in the throne room of the universe and he's restoring all things to himself, guess what? That includes you and you need to live like a renewed person. You need to live like a restored person. You need to live in line with your calling, worthy of the calling so worthy of the gospel. God has called you, God has saved you, God has given you grace, and now your life should look like that. People should look in on you and go, God's at work on that person. God's changing that person. We get it? God's renewing that person, okay? Now, all of that is 
All of that's wrapped up in this one statement, but then Paul gives us some nouns. Hmm. Paul gives us some nouns that should characterize the way that Christians behave now, okay? So we talk a lot about the gospel changes our identity first. It changes who we are. He makes us into his children. He makes us into his family. He makes us into missionaries. But once we receive that identity, now we live differently in the world, okay? Paul's using the same language. He's saying, if you've received the gospel, you receive the gospel, now walk it out. Live like it. And this is Here's some nouns that should characterize your life. Here they are, let's look. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Okay. Those those are some nouns. There's some good nouns, but those are some hard nouns, (laughs) right? Look at them. With all humility. I don't even know if us as a society even value humility anymore. I think we, we, we value arrogance, we value pride, right? Let's keep, let's keep reading. And gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, what Paul is doing here is showing us some markers of Christian maturity, okay? He's showing us some markers of Christian maturity that God has kind of grafted us into the vine. He's brought us into the family, and now it's our calling to grow up to become what we already are. That's a weird concept, but God has made us Christians, and now we grow up into his image. That's the goal of a Christian, okay? And this is how, this, these are some attributes set that should characterize the way we uh, live our life. Now, let me just, I'm gonna pause and just build out where I'm going. Here's what Paul says that the church is, okay? The church is a diverse body of people who have been saved by the grace of God, who now reorient their lives around that body of people and make it their goal in life to build up the church and maintain the unity of the spirit. Now, I wanna say right away, this cannot be done in our own strength. All of hell is set against us in this endeavor. Our flesh, our sinful nature, the devil and the world are all conspiring against us, seeking to divide us and destroy us. But as Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not stand against us because he is in the control room of the universe. He is at the right hand of God. He's king of kings and lord of lords, all right? So what I wanna show you today is that the church is the body of believers. We're meant to grow up into people who are humble, gentle, and can keep the peace and the unity in in the church, but that is not easy. That's not easy. And so what I'm gonna show us here, three things. Here's three, three points, okay? One, 
the basis of our unity in the body, right? The problem of immaturity, okay? And ministry as the way to maturity, okay? That's where we're going this morning. All of these are important for us to understand when we think about the church. Uh, First thing let's do, let's look at our basis for unity. Look at verse four. There is one body. Okay, this is a metaphor Jesus uses. This is a metaphor the Bible talks about. This is what the church is. The church is a body. It's also echoed in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church of Jesus Christ is a body, okay? There is one body. There is one spirit. So, The Holy Spirit, there's only one spirit. The spirit, when it comes inside of us, when God saves us, he unites us in one spirit and he unites us in one body, okay? Keep reading. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs your call. This is the gospel. The gospel is the message of hope. The gospel goes out and says the only way to be reconciled to God is to put your faith in the God-man Jesus Christ. When you do that, he sends that one spirit into you that unites us into one body. Verse five, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, Christianity, one baptism. When you get baptized, you, that's, you're, you're now part of the body of Christ. One God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, look, this is the basis of our unity. We could say we have a theological unity. God has brought us together into his body through one faith, through one savior, through one Lord, by one father, through one gospel. That is the most important thing about us, period. We are not first Americans. We are not first our race. We are not first first our class. We are primarily, here's the number one thing, the biggest thing about us, the most important thing about us. Are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? That's it. If you're in Christ, then we are part of one body and we are united. Now we work this out, there's, this, this is a cosmic reality, we're one with every Christian across the globe, but that theological reality gets worked out practically inside a local body of believers. Where we have to come together and what's the most important thing about me? Is it my political affiliation? Or is it the fact I'm in Christ? Because God puts us into a community with people who vote differently than we do. God puts us into a community with people different color skin and different, you know, different neighborhoods that we grew up in and different states and different countries. And so we get put into a community where we're different and the only thing that unites us is the fact that we are in Christ. Now, here's the problem. And this past year has revealed this. 
the church has the greatest reality of unity, okay? The greatest reasons, the greatest, greatest basis for unity than any other organization in the planet because of the blood of Jesus Christ that unites us all. And yet, this last year revealed that there were some deep underlying fault lines in our churches. That we were far more united in our politics or our race, or our understanding of the founding of our country, or whatever it is, than we were in Christianity. And here's what I know. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, does not classify most churches. And there's only two reasons why that's true, or why that's, one, Churches are full of people that aren't really Christians. Or two, what our text shows us today, our churches are full of spiritual babies. Spiritual children. This is pretty interesting here. Look at verse 14. Paul says one of my, his desires and one of the evidences of the gospel, something that the gospel produces in us, it makes us into this, is look, look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. Children. Well, who are you calling children? What are you talking about? I'm a grown man. You gonna call me a child? Paul? Well, Paul here is speaking to one of the realities of the gospel. When you become a Christian, guess what? When you're born again, you're born again as a spiritual infant. You come in as a baby. The gospel creates spiritual babies. This is how we come into the kingdom of God and this is how we come into the church. We come in spiritually immature. So, Think about it like this. How, where are you at on your spiritual growth chart? Right? Are you a one-month-old spiritual infant? Are you, a, you know, you're in that awkward teenage phase, middle of puberty right now? Right? Are you spiritually mature? Where are you at? Well, thankfully, Paul shows us some attributes of a spiritual infant, of a spiritual child. Right, let's look and see what they are. Look at verse 14 again. So that we may no longer be children, oh, here it is, tossed to and fro by the waves. The, the analogy is if you're, you're in the ocean and you watch a child in the ocean, it's not going to go well for that little child. Right? Boom, they're getting knocked all over the place. Right? They're not stable enough. You take this all the way back to, Infancy, my daughter Essie, she's about three months old, she can barely keep her head up right now. You blow on her head, whoosh, right? Wherever the head goes, that's where she goes. Oh no, right on her face, right? That's what happens. She's literally unstable. Here it is. First marker of Christian immaturity is you are an unstable person. You're not steady. What does that look like? Do you only come to church 
when you feel like it? Do you only participate in a missional community when the stars align and you have nothing else going on? Are you one of those people that hits maybe on Facebook to five different events that are the same day and then you wait until the day of to actually decide how you feel and which one you want to go to? I'm keeping my options open. Do you only give financially to the mission of God when it's convenient or easy for you to do so? See, if you're not a steady person, if you're not a plotter, a person can keep, just keep marching, keep walking, you won't ever persevere through hard times, you, you, you might just not show up when you're signed up to serve, or maybe you'll send a text message like five minutes before you were supposed to be there and say, sorry, I can't make it. And I hope nobody asks you why. People can't really count on you. Your Bible gets read the first week of the year and then it collects dust the next 51 weeks. See, people who aren't steady will always be tossed around by the cares of this life and they won't grow up into Christian maturity. The goal of the Christian life is like a father who takes their child out into the ocean and he can stand there and take that wave and while they're getting taken, he can hold on to them, right? That's the goal. Our, one of our goals as Christian men and women is to grow up in that kind of spiritually mature person in the church. Okay, let's look at the second thing they say about the spiritually immature. It says, tossed to and fro by the waves and look, carried about by every wind of doctrine. This is a picture of a, of a kite. Whatever way the wind blows, that person gets carried by that doctrine. They're, another way to say it is, spiritually immature people are not discerning. Little, listen, little children are not discerning, right? They will pick up whatever is on the floor and put it in their mouth. Doesn't matter what it is. This is like one of the biggest threats as, as parents when you have young kids, right? You're like, you're always constantly, don't, 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 don't put that in your mouth, right? They're at the zoo, they pick something off the sidewalk. You're like, no, please, God, no, right? Grabbing, you got pets, it's even more dangerous, right? And then you're like, yeah, no, please, don't do it. Literally, if there was a poisonous pill on the floor, they would pick it up and pop it in their mouth. They don't know the difference between good food and poison. That's the point Paul's making here about doctrine, about the gospel, about true teaching, what the Bible actually says. He's saying spiritually immature people don't know what the Bible teaches. They don't know good doctrine. And so they'll get blown around by anybody that gets up on stage, has got a little bit of charisma, got a band behind them. And all of a sudden, whatever they say, that's exactly what we're going to do. We'll do it. We'll follow it. In America today, there's, what's, there's a thing called the prosperity gospel where people get up here and they try to use the Bible to say that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And guess what? Americans love to hear that because guess what? We want to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. 
So guess what? I want to actually use God to get what I really want, money. That preacher will tell me how to use God to get more money? That sounds like a good religion to me. Everything I, everything I already already want, God's gonna help me get that? Oh, how convenient. Instead of preaching the true gospel that offers an encounter with the living God who will wreck you. He will wreck your aspirations, but fill you with something far greater, himself. So spiritually immature people don't know good doctrine. If you don't know your way around the Bible, if you don't know historical, orthodox, Christian doctrine, then you're still a spiritual baby. Listen, the, this country has been an inch deep and a mile wide spiritually for far too long. Most Christians only know John 3.16. That's all they know. They think the Bible is how, I'm, this is, somebody's even said this, Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. I want to smack that guy. That is not what the Bible's about. Jesus Christ is Lord of all creation right now, and he wants us to live our everyday life, everything we do for the glory of God. That means everything matters. Well, I was getting going, but you were clapping, so I couldn't. All right? Listen, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Listen to this. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. It's not just how to get saved. It's not just how to go to heaven when you die. This Bible is meant to inform everything you do. It's meant to inform inform an entire, here's the world, an entire worldview, okay? Think of it like this. If you put on a pair of pink sunglasses, please don't, but if you do, everything you see will be tinted pink. You're seeing through those glasses. So everything you see will have a shade of pink. A Christian worldview, the scripture, is meant to be your glasses that you see the world through, so it informs everything you do. So when, I, when you watch the news, you're watching the news as an informed Christian whose worldview is shaped by the Christianity because nobody on the news is more than likely has a Christian worldview. So you have to interpret what they're saying through your biblical worldview. When you see somebody say something on Facebook, you have to interpret that through your Christian worldview. When you read a book, when you watch a movie, when you listen to music, when you go out and create good culture in the world, you have to interpret it through a Christian worldview. You can't do that if you don't know good doctrine, if you don't know the scriptures. The Bible is the basis for all the Christian's decision-making. The Bible tells me when life begins in the womb. The Bible tells me about issues of racism and justice and all the things that we're dealing with today. The Bible informs my view, not culture. And yet, many people simply don't read it. 
and they don't know what it teaches. Because of that, they stay spiritual babies and never grow into Christian maturity. And have you, have you ever read the book, Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Flies is a brilliant book. Scary, but you know what? When the children are running the island, things go poorly. Things go poorly. And when children run the churches, things go poorly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, look, by human cunning, man-centered thinking, like we are the center of the universe, like we can get God to do our bidding by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is all about being self-centered people. See, babies are terribly self-centered. I have a bunch of kids, I love them all, but so far in the 14 years I've been a father, I don't think one time have I ever got home from a tough day and I walk through the doors, I'm like, Dad, how was your day? How you doing, Dad? Right? I know my wife hasn't ever experienced this. You walk in the door, Dad, can I go skating tonight? Dad, I have a party. Dad, I need to go buy this. Dad, here's a project that's due tomorrow. I need your help on it. Okay. Mom walks in the house, what's for dinner? I don't have any clean clothes. Right? Why? Children are self-centered. Spiritual children are too. They're always thinking about themselves. They're always meditating on themselves. Because of that, they're always getting their feelings hurt. They're constantly feeling left out. They rehearse things over and over in their heads, constantly thinking, it's not fair. What do I want? What do I need? What do I feel like? Why isn't anyone asking about me? I'm important to me. Why am I not important to everyone else? because everyone else is thinking that same way. Didn't you know the most important person in the room just showed up? Me. Ask me about me. That's immaturity. So Paul shows us here, when we become Christians, we come into God's kingdoms at, kingdom as spiritual children. We come in as immature saints who are unstable, who lack discernment and are always at risk of being carried away through bad doctrine or self-centeredness. We can be easily deceived through human craftiness. Let me ask you a difficult question this morning. Is that you? Are you a spiritual 
child. I don't know about you, but right about now is when I start feeling judged. Too often, I got to say that I read this and I'm like, I'm still spiritually immature. But there's good news here. Look at verse 13. Until we all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Oh, okay. The apostle Paul said we. That's good news for us. If the apostle Paul says, yeah, yeah, we're all immature, we're all spiritually immature, that's good news for us, right? So we can bring our immaturity into this body. We can bring our immaturity in here and just, we can admit the reality about us. One of the most frustrating things, and this happens in, during puberty, right? Your, your sons, your daughters start going through puberty and they start wanting to be treated like men and women. There's only one problem. They are not yet men or women, right? They are not mature man or woman. They are not quite responsible to be that yet. And so what is Paul saying? Bring your immaturity into the body, and this is what we're gonna see, and inside the body is where you're going to become spiritually mature. According to Paul, a spiritually mature person is a person who's humble, gentle, patient, they can bear with one another in love. They're biblically literate, theologically wise. They serve other people often. They don't constantly get their feelings hurt. And when they do, they love anyways and forgive, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. They aren't always feeling left out and they're spiritual, spiritually steady. It means they can endure and handle suffering. Paul doesn't just look at these people and say, you spiritually immature suckers, grow up. He says, we are spiritually immature and we need to grow up together. Verse 15. Rather. So don't be a child. Rather grow up into maturity, but look how he says we're going to do it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, Here's, what, here's the point that, we, that Paul's trying to make here. When we're separate, we're immature. When we're united in the body, we're growing into maturity. When we, when we are spiritual infants, okay, that's, he's using plural language. When we're growing up, what are we growing up into? One mature man, Jesus Christ. The body itself is far more mature than any of its parts. That's how we work together. We, 
the, oh, let me show you. Go to verse seven. Go to verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. When we become a Christian, God gives us grace. God gives us gifts. Now, this is interesting. He gives us spiritual gifts. There's other places in the Bible that talk about this. But this gift is really a gift of maturity. Okay, it's a gift of, it's a, it's a process that produces maturity. Look what he says. Keep reading. Therefore, the scripture says, the Old Testament, when he, that's Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Well, what are those gifts? He's talking about Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father and now he sends, he sends gifts. Look at verse 11. Here are those gifts. He gave the apostles, the men who walked with Jesus and wrote as the Spirit led them, wrote the New Testament. He gave the prophets, Old Testament, New Testament, who spoke the word of God. He gave the evangelists. Paul tells Timothy, go do the work of an evangelist. That means spread the gospel, gospel evangel. Go spread the gospel around the world. The shepherds, that word is pastors and teachers. These gifts that God gives to the body of Christ, these gifts are men and women who lead the body and teach the body, teach, teach the word of God. That's primarily what they do is they teach. So how do we grow up into maturity? One is through the preaching of the word of God, right? That we're, we're doing that. We're actually preaching the word of God. But look at verse 12. This is, this is where I think most churches miss it. I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna read 11 again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now don't think like a Catholic here, okay? We're not Catholic in that sense. Saints aren't some super special, you know, Jesus' Navy SEALs or something, right? Jesus' SEAL Team 6. That's not the saints. The saints are anybody who's been saved by Jesus Christ. You've been made righteous. You've been made into a saint. Do you see what my job is? My job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. This is why maturity is needed, Right? We've got to grow up into maturity because you are sent out from here and all six days you're out there meant to be doing ministry. What? Doing ministry? Yes, at John Deere, at the coffee shop, in your neighborhood, in your home, wherever you are, you have been sent there by God to do ministry. I'm not the only minister in this room. We're all ministers. Now, here's the reality. If you don't think of yourself as a minister, then you come here and you're kind of just, yeah, maybe I'll get something good today. Maybe I won't. I just need a little pick-me-up, a little encouragement. You know, get me through. It's just, we're basically just like stopping at Red Band, you know? You're tired, get it? Do the same thing spiritually speaking here. But if you think of yourself as a minister, Every day you're ministering, and guess what? It's hard to do ministry in our world today. People have gone crazy. 
right? And so you get out there and you start loving people and being in a relationship with people and people start seeing that your life looks a little bit different. You're committed to a local body of believers and God's been at work in your heart and he's changing you and people are gonna start asking you questions and you're gonna be like, that's a good question, I don't know, right? You're not gonna know that, email me, you can email your pastors, but you're gonna come in hungry for teaching, hungry for good doctrine, Hungry for what God has to say to you. Why? Because all week long, you've been pouring out in ministry in a world that's hostile to Christianity, and you're going to come in here needy and hungry and begging for bread. And guess what? God meets us here, and God feeds us here. I think most Christians don't believe they're actually a minister. They think, I'm a minister, the priest, the pastor, whoever, he's the minister, and their job is just to minister to me. Now, what does that ministry look like? Paul tells us in verse 15. So, Two things here. One, this is how we grow up spiritually. And two, this is how we minister. Okay? This is how we minister. This is how we grow up. And this is how we minister. These things are inter, they're, they're connected. They're vitally connected. This is how we grow up in maturity. This is how we minister to one another. You can't be spiritually mature without the church. You can't be spiritually mature just by watching it on a screen and downloading some information. You have to practice it. Can you imagine a person who thought they were a great football player because they watched a lot of game film? Have you ever played? No, but I got great hands. (laughs) Have you caught a football? No, but I've seen dudes do it. I know exactly how to do it. No, no, it takes practice. You gotta get out there on the field and get in the trenches before you're actually gonna understand what it all feels like and what it all means. The same way for Christian maturity. We have to be amongst God's people in a body functioning a certain way in order to grow up into maturity. Look what Paul says, verse 15. This is how we do it. Rather, speaking the truth in love can underline that. We're going to come back to it. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which which it is equipped. When each part is properly, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The picture is, The human body is diverse. We've got all kind of different systems going on in this thing, got nervous system, we've got all these systems, we've got different body parts. It's diverse, but it it has to work together to function properly, right? They have to be united. The diversity has to be united by something in order to function. We've already seen in the body of Christ, we are united by the blood of Christ. We are united by the work of Christ. We've been brought together, right? In this analogy, Jesus is the head of the church. The head gives the rest of the body the marching orders. 
The head directs, like the head is the source of truth, the source of understanding, the source of the will, the source of direction. So Jesus tells us how to live our life, period. The rest of the body responds to the head, but they have to be united together to one another, right? Here's the point. Spiritual maturity only happens when we function together. You might be the most jacked finger in the world. It doesn't really matter if you're sitting on a shelf somewhere by yourself. You have, maturity only happens as a part of the body. United with other brothers and sisters and united in Christ. And Paul says, here's the most general way Paul can say it. Here's how you grow up into spiritual maturity. Speaking the truth in love to one another. Mm. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we come in as spiritual infants. We're called to maturity. Paul says the only way to Christian maturity is by being a part of the body of Christ, the local church, and speaking the truth in love to one another. Now here's the deal. On Sunday morning, I'm the only one trying to speak the truth in love for the most part. You guys are being quiet for the most part. What he's talking about here, and that's part of my job right now is to speak the truth in love, but he's talking about the way you are to minister to one another throughout the week. This is what missional community is all about. Learning to speak the truth in love to people. Now, let me just say this. First off, I'll say this. This is why we've grown as a church. This is why we can look back over 10 years and we've made a lot of disciples and we've planted a church and when people join our mission, many of our missional communities, something feels different about it. There's spiritual life and spiritual vitality and spiritual maturity going on that we are working really hard get every, every member ministering in the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love. But this is also the hardest thing in the universe to do. Now, why is that? For whatever reason, most of us, we either want to speak the truth, but we do so in an unloving way. Or we just want to love a person and pet their face, but we're unable to speak the truth to them. We're seeing this, not just in churches, but we're seeing this culture-wide. Paul says, speaking the truth in love. Many of us, we either love the truth, but we don't really care how it comes across, or we love love and we think we can divorce love from the truth. Paul says, no, no, we grow up spiritually by speaking the truth in love. Listen to these words from scholar and pastor Tim Keller. Why do those of us who tend to be more loving fail to tell the truth? 
because we're afraid the person will be mad at us and hurt us or will be, and we will be crushed and we'll feel guilty. The reason we're not telling the truth is pride, selfishness, self-centeredness. I don't want to tell that person the truth. If I tell them the truth, they might call me a name. They might say I'm a bigot. They might say I'm mean. They might say I'm judgmental. Now, here's the problem with that. Jesus was willing to be falsely labeled. And he actually said, if you're my disciple, they're gonna do the same thing to you. So many of us, we're, we, we, we're trying to love people, but we won't speak the truth to them. But what we're actually doing is withholding the truth and we're being selfish. What about those of us who tell the truth, but we're not very loving? You know why? It's your heart. It's your motivation. We tell the truth, but we actually want to put them down. We want them, we want them, to, make, we want them to make them look dumb. We, we tell the truth, but we like winning arguments. We tell the truth, but we have motivations that are basically selfish. We like to show off how much we know. We like to show off that we're right. We like to put the other person down. If you tell the truth without love, it's because you're not really concerned with the truth. You're concerned with yourself. But if you give love without telling the truth, you're not really loving them. You're loving yourself. It's because you're concerned with yourself and because of our own self-centeredness and because of our own sin, nobody is capable of mixing truth and love in the balance that we need. Isn't that awful? It's a dilemma. Paul is saying here, Listen, it doesn't matter how many ingredients you got right in that cake. If you left out one, it's probably not going to taste right. Paul's saying there are necessary ingredients to growing spiritually in the body of Christ, truth and love. You leave out either one, it's not gonna work. You're not gonna grow up into godliness. You're not gonna grow up in maturity. We cannot spiritually grow or live without truth and love. And what we can see is in ourself, we're not capable of holding those two things together in relationships. So what's the solution? Do you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? On the cross, why did Jesus have to die? Why do we sing about the blood? That's so weird. So concerning. People come in off the streets and they're like, wow, they really like their blood here. <laughs> Jesus, listen to this. Why did Jesus have to die? First off, I'm gonna give you the truth. The truth is we are all sinners. We were all all hopelessly lost. 
And unless someone pays the price for that sin, we will be lost eternally to God. But on the other hand, there's also love. So that was the truth, there's also love. That Jesus went to the cross willingly because he loved us. So on the cross we have truth and we have love coupled together. I want you to consider that this is the most amazing and strongest truth anybody could possibly give you and simultaneously the most amazing message of love anybody could give you at the same time. You've got to hold this together. Listen to this. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, it was the most insulting thing anyone has ever said to you. When he went to the cross, he was saying, you are so lost and so messed up. You are so hopelessly condemned. Nothing but the death of the son of God can save you. No one's ever said anything more offensive to you in all your life. The message of the gospel is first off the truth that is offensive. You are so messed up, nothing but the death of the son of God could save you. But at the same time, he was also saying, I love you so much. I give my life for you willingly. He's saying, I want to reconcile you to the Father. You have dignity, value, and worth. I want to restore in you that imago Dei, the image of God that has been fallen. I want to reconcile you to your Father. I want to adopt you into my family. I want to bring you into this body of Christ and give you a mission to live your life for a purpose. I'm doing all this because I love you. And here's the thing, You've, when you hold those two things together, it explodes in your heart. That I had nothing to offer God, I was hopelessly lost, dead in my trespasses and sins, and yet the Son of God came to this earth to save me from my sins? He died on the cross for me, what? You can, a Christian can never get past that fact. A Christian can never move beyond that. A Christian just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into it and gets wowed over and over and over again. Until you see that indeed you were that lost, you'll never see how great his love was for you. If you shrug at the gospel, you don't get it. If you understand it and you take it in and you realize he did this for you on the cross, one, it humbles you. It humbles you. It says, okay, you know what? I can't just blast people with the truth all the time. I gotta say this the most loving way that I know how to say it. But it also puts steel in your spine and it, it, you can't be a people pleaser. You can't be somebody that just, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine. Let's just be friends. Let's not talk about anything like that. Let's not talk about truth. Let's just 
It's all feelings here. No, no, no. It affirms you out of your need to always please people. Therefore, you'll be gospel men and women. You'll be mature Christians who can speak the truth in love exactly the way we need to. Listen, if a church is all love and no truth, people won't grow. If a church is all truth and no love, people might grow. They grow mean. They grow cold. They become jerks for Jesus. We need to hold the truth and love. That's what we are. And we might take arrows and take shots from both sides of the aisle, the truth-only people and the love-only people. But this is the way Jesus says we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is the way we grow up into spiritual maturity. This is the way we do it together. All right. Let me pray for us. I can see the clock. <laughs> Father, first off, I thank you for the truth that we, are hopeless, we were hopelessly lost without Christ. I thank you for the truth that you sent the Son of God. I thank you for the truth that the Son of God came and lived a perfect life. I thank you for the truth that the Son of God took our place on that old rugged cross and absorbed our sin. I thank you for the truth that we are now justified and made new in Christ. I thank you for the truth that Jesus Christ got up out of the grave, that he kicked an end, he kicked a hole at the end of that grave, he opened it up, and now death has been defeated, and we will live forever with you in the new heavens and the new earth. And right now, you are in the throne room of the universe, directing all things towards your end. You are building your church, you are restoring your people, you are maturing us even now. And you're doing all of this because you love the glory of God, but also because you love us. What truth? What love? We know love that a man might die for his good friend, but you died for sinners. As we come to your table this morning, would we remember these great truths? Or worse than we thought possible, but we're more loved than we can even imagine. Would you center our heart in this truth? Would you center our church in this truth? Would you do this for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.